pressure. Under pressure, that's the important thing. Luke Gale catches it and kicks it in the same motion. Welcome to the Red Robin podcast season review, which is powered by Free 60 Chartered Accountants and Budget Ties Auto Centre. And this week, I am delighted to be joined by a bumper fans panel with James Perlin, Dan Craft, Mike Carter, Carl Smith and Graham Turner joining me to give their views and opinions on Hulkington Rovers in 2022. Good evening, gentlemen. Fantastic to be speaking to you. Obviously, you had to cancel the podcast last week, uh, so we didn't get a chance to to speak to the uh, about the whole FC game and, and uh, what a remarkable effort that was from the uh, from the Robins. Uh, James, before we go into the season review, it was a, a fantastic effort, wasn't it? And probably uh, a result that many people didn't anticipate. No, I think we said on the uh, podcast before the game, you know, just I don't think it, you know, expect just weren't expecting that performance at all. You know, so once we scored, I thought, you know, at least we're not going to get nilled. You know, I couldn't do the embarrassment of getting nilled at their their place. They pulled it back to 4-6 and I thought, there we go. But it was just an absolutely unbelievable performance. You know, I think, you know, given the circumstances and just everybody writing them off. And as you know, I said again a number of times on this podcast that this team and squad have got some real character and grit. And I think that really came through in the, against against the, uh, the other lot. Yeah, Graham... Albert Vette, where has he been hiding for the past <laughs> a couple of years? Because he, he put in a remarkable performance and, um, you know, he really dug deep for the boys. The minutes he played, not just the minutes, though, the actual contribution during the games, you know, it was a fantastic performance. And for me, he was a deserving man of the match. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think looking at that performance in isolation and possibly one or two before that, you could argue the fact that if he'd have performed like that for the last couple of years, he might have not been departing the club now and might have earned himself on merits a, a, a new deal out of it. But yeah, I think that's the Albert Vetti we were expecting two years ago. That's what we wanted to see from him. Like you say, it was a it was a lot of minutes for for a big guy. Normally, he's he's one of the first um, off the field in terms of interchanges when it comes to to, to playing minutes. But he yeah he went above and beyond his normal stint there, and he looked. He looks like a good player that, that we, we could rue to regret letting go. Yeah, it's not been officially confirmed yet, I don't think, but by all accounts, he'll be playing for the Castleford Tigers next season. So, no doubt he'll end up being Man of Steel, probably one of uh, Comp's best forwards, etc., etc. But Sailor V, that is, unless uh, he gets banned for the opening few games because he's still been investigated for a fish hook or a fish hook tackle on Scott Taylor, which obviously led Scott Taylor to. Chuck his dummy out the pram. I suppose, uh, Mike, you know, we don't want to talk about our bitter rivals too much, but as good as the result was, it was also uh, quite pleasing to see them implode on a, a number of occasions. And it just showed you how much Rovers really did rattle uh, that lot on, on, on Saturday the 3rd of September. Yeah, there was a lot of that early on in the game, wasn't there? I think we, we did speak about it on in the podcast in, in the run-up to the game. We said that we needed to get at them early and hit them hard and sort of put them off their game. And I think that's what, what we did, really. You know, the, the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes was, was quite error-ridden, but we quickly managed to uh, manage that out of our game and we really did power on, didn't we? 
Yeah, and on that, uh, if you if you're watching or listening, Keith, thanks for the message. Uh, soon as Rovers won, I got a message off Keith Pollard telling telling me I told you we had to get under the skin. I know I know we'd do it. So, <laughs> cheers, thanks for that, Keith. And Dan, um, we're going to go into the season review now. Um, if you can rewind the clock and remember what your your feelings and what your emotions were like back in January and February, what was your hopes for Ulkington Rovers in 2022? Well, it was a positive end to 21, wasn't it? I think that's what the fact that we reached the semi final, everybody's buzzing. You're thinking, do you know what? We can push on, we can make the playoffs again this year. First game, Wigan, you're thinking, do you know what? These are poor, we can do these. I know they had a change of coach, but you're thinking they were terrible last year. We'll turn these over. Obviously, we come up against arguably one of the best sides, best Wigan sides in the past 10 years, didn't we? It was it knocked us back, but maybe maybe we needed it. Just knock us off our perch a little bit. Yeah, I mean the stage was set on it, and the anticipation among supporters and and the build up, and we had a bumper crowd of nine thousand in at Craven Park. Unfortunately, Rovers failed to live up to that billing. Uh, we just mentioned off air before we came on to do the podcast. We uh, we lined up on the right edge with Brad Takarangi at centre and Sam Wood on the right wing. And Graham, it, um, it definitely wants Sam Wood's best game, was it? Uh, two two key errors, and I suppose over the course of the season, it's been refreshing to see how he's responded to that early setback, and obviously, probably change positions helped him. But on the night, it just wasn't working for Rovers, was it? No, I think the, the, the two. I think there's a couple of errors that stand out that that, that Woody made that led to direct scores for for Wigan that, that contributed to the overall downfall within the game, and. I think as a as a start as a play, you, you don't you don't want a debut to go like that. That was probably the worst debut he could have could have hoped for. But giving him his credit, he, he's knuckled down and banished all of those sort of demons, if they were want to call it that, uh, quite quickly. Um, got got a, a better position, in my opinion, for him rather than out there on the wing. And I think he's showing his worth now, and he's, he's fitting into the squad nicely. He's got that those attributes of, of young British athletic talent that, that we seem to be edging towards now. So hopefully for Sam, that's that's all done, dusted. He's forgotten about that. Um, people keep referring back to it in commentary when I see it every now and again about how he's improved since that opening game. So hopefully we, we can put that to bed for him now and he can have a good off-season, good pre-season and then come back fitter, stronger, ready to go again properly uh, in, in a few months' time. Yeah, optimism was still high though. We travelled over to Huddersfield for our second game of the season. Uh, snowy West Yorkshire. Um, game epitomised probably by Matty Stoughton missing it despite him only living in Keighley, but he couldn't get there because of the snow. Um, and it was another frustrating performance from the Robins going down 26 points to 12. Um, and we got to see Tom Garrett for the very first time after he made the move from Dewsbury. Um, I suppose at that stage, James, you know, we're on the back of two defeats. Things aren't quite working out for the Robins, but we are only two games into the season. Um, was there any cause for panic then, or, or was it just a case of, you know, we're still early doors, let, let's see what uh, what happens in our next few games? Um, I don't think there's any cause for panic at that stage. I think that the, the, the slight concern was for me that, you know, we just didn't perform against Wigan, and probably for about 60, 65 minutes against Huddersfield, we didn't perform either. And it was only, I think, once the Huddersfield game, once the game had gone, that we actually looked a decent team. And you thought, actually, OK, you know, they've got all the rubbishness out of the system now. And then this is the team we're going to start, you know, we were expecting to see. And hopefully they're going to carry that into the uh, into the next few games. So, yeah, yeah it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, 
panic station at this stage. No, and we did we did eventually get that first win uh, at the end of February. We defeated Lee Radford's Castleford, 26 points to 10. Um, supporters very much relieved to get that first win. We started to see glimpses of maybe what that side can do, especially with uh, uh, the likes of Matty Parcell playing. But February as well, we see the sad news of the passing of Johnny Whiteley. You're great for our rivals, but also a big contribution to rugby at Hulkingston Rovers and a massive fan and support of rugby league in the city. And I suppose, Mike, when you receive that news, you know, you know, someone like Johnny Whiteley, someone's contributed so much to the game. It, it affects all parts of the city. Yeah, of course it does. He was quite a, a regular attendee down at Craven Park. Um, I'm a part of the Heritage Committee as long as with Keith Pollard, as you're aware. And Johnny would often come down to our heritage sessions and he was very welcoming to everybody. He would always stop and have a chat. And he, he was a Hull FC fan, as we know, but first and foremost, he was a rugby league fan and he had a lot of passion and a lot of love for our game and he wasn't scared of showing that in his uh, in his presence. Yeah, yeah. And then we started the month with the news that perhaps a surprise to many, uh, Ryan Orr received a, a call-up to Sean Wayne's England training squad. And Carl, it's, it's very apt, isn't it? We're, we've got the World Cup coming up very shortly. Uh, Ryan Orr, he's, he's Hulkington Rovers' top try scorer this season with 15. Um, and when you look at performance, performers over the course of the season... Ryan Hall has definitely been up there with uh, the best in Hulkingston Rovers, but I'd say as well, in, in terms of his position, one of the best in Super League as well. Um, do, do you think Ryan Hall will be featuring for England in the World Cup? Uh, to be honest, I'd like to think so, but uh, I probably don't see it happening, to be honest. Uh, he's knocking on a bit now, isn't he? So I think if he was picking a team on merit, then he probably would be in there or in and around that. And that's you know side of squad, so yeah, I, I don't I don't see it happening, but I'd like to think so. Yeah, and then we started March with a game against St Helens. Lachlan Coote returned after uh, suffering from an injury in our first outing against Wigan. It's safe to say it wasn't his best night, um, and it wasn't Rovers' best uh, game either. Um, losing forty-two points to eight. Um and I suppose Dan there's a bit of frustration at that point, weren't we? We were just seen as defeat Castleford and we think, right, we're starting to to get our act together. You know, it was a great performance against Castleford and then to be come back down to earth after a thumping handed out by St. Ellen's, which is, you know, it, no I mean you know, it's not something to be uh, panicking about. But I think the style of the performance and the and the amount of points we shipped, you know, it was just left scratching our heads once again about what this Rover side could produce. Yeah, well, I think I think up until was it the 25th minute we were in the game, it was 6-4, we were pushing them, we looked like we were in the game competing. I think they just decided they've got another gear in them. I think they must have, I, don't, I think they scored all their points before the 65th minute. They, they just walked all over us, didn't they? It was disappointing the fact that we, after they scored their second try to go ahead, I think we just sort of rolled over and sort of did what we don't want to talk about them too much, but FC have done towards the back end of the season. Conceded that try and rolled over and had, had our bellies tickled, didn't we? I think that was the disappointing aspect of that game, not the fact that we got whooped because they are a quality side and they did have a full strength side out at that time of the year. I think it's just the disappointing that we just. Uh, just didn't seem to have a backbone in that game. No. And then Rovers do go 
Amazingly, over to Salford, uh, produced an excellent performance. Will come away twenty six points to sixteen victors. A result, Graham, that probably many Rover supporters wouldn't have anticipated on the back of that. And maybe it was a sign of what we've seen in the latter stages of the season that, you know, like Dan said, against St. Helens, people questioning the, the backbone of the side and the spirit. But that performance against Salford was a, a very gritty performance and, and and one that we've come to accustomed to at the, at the back end of the season. Yeah, I think if you look in the context of the season of where Salford are at now and how much they've improved and... Uh, going across there to get a result is no mean feat. So, so yeah, I think I think the result and the, the performance epitomise what you've just said there about that grit, resolve, determination to get a result. And I think that slowly manifested itself, uh, you know, over the season and, and culminated in the, in, you know, that, that resolve that we all talk about for the end of the season. But you saw signs there that actually there is there is some quality there. We can go to, to tough places to play. And grind out results and, and be competitive. So, for me, that was that was one of those games where, ordinarily, you look at and you're thinking we've got a chance there. But in the context of the season, going away across there, I think that's a it's it's quite a standout result at that point in the season. Yeah, and then Mike, we, we travelled to Catalan uh, to take on the Dragons, and for me, it was probably one of the most frustrating performances or results of the season, should I say? Because I thought the performance was excellent from the Robins. We had numerous opportunities to to get the points uh, on the board and get over the line for the victory. But Catalan just did enough to come away with a point, 18-10 victors in the end. But again, we started to see a bit more resilience from the Robins and we started to see maybe um, things clicking to gear uh, after a few disappointing results earlier uh, on in the start of the season. That, that game felt like it was game management that won that fixture for, for Catalans. It was the, the decision-making. If I remember rightly, the, the, they scored the, we both scored two tries, didn't we? They just kicked their conversions and then took a couple of penalties, um, which kind of obviously got them got them over the line there. And obviously, we, we're probably going to speak quite a bit about goal-kicking as we progress through the podcast. Uh, but maybe this was sort of an early sign where it was something where our decision-making wasn't great and obviously our uh, conversion record wasn't as uh, good as we'd like it to have been. No, yeah. On that game, Sam Tonkin's got five from five, so he's obviously um, kicked the convert, uh, convert the tries and got three penalties. Um, and again, you know, it highlights how important goal kicking is, I suppose. Um, and then we enter the Challenge Cup. We take on Elise Enturing's side. Um, to say what's a little bit rusty is, is probably fair. A uh, number of changes to the side for that game. We did eventually... Uh, come away with a victory despite a late fight back from the Centurions. We won the game 24 points to 18 to guarantee a quarter-final game. A um, couple of big news and, and big talking points in March, James. We saw the club announce the purchase of Craven Park with the option to buy land surrounding it from Hull City Council, which is obviously vitally important. We've heard Paul Lakin talk about how important it is to safeguard the future of the club. But then on the other side, we saw Takarangi stood down by the club after being arrested in January for drink driving. And, and that's what, the for me, the, the early couple of months seems to be summed up by. You would have positive, then negative. And the, the, the consistency at the club, whether it was on the field or off it, just didn't seem to be there. But the purchase of Craven Park was a, a massive step for Hulkingston Rovers. Yeah, it, it, it was. And I just think it's... I think A, obviously shows the financial stability that their club have got now. Uh, but as you say, it just gives them 
a lot more options. You know, we can redevelop the ground. We can redevelop the the area around it into you know a top class training facility, um, and all those sort of things. You know, if you're then looking you know, look, looking further ahead to attract you know top players to come to the club, you know those sort of things will surely help. You know, you look at the likes of Wigan and the Saints and, and Leeds and what they've done to their stadium, and you think you know we, we should be doing that. You know, you you want top players playing in top class grounds, and you know, hopefully, that's what's going to be uh, able to happen with the with the purchase. Yeah, Carl. A few uh, another talking point from March as well is, um, if you remember, Richard Agar got sacked by Leeds, and there was big big talk of Tony Smith returning uh, to Headingley to take on. I think there was huge clamour, wasn't there, from Robin supporters? Tony Smith, please don't go. It's just, uh, I suppose, it's funny how how things pan out, isn't it? But um, at the time, you know, there was still a lot of favour for Tony Smith, wasn't there? And, and obviously, how things transpires, you know, people didn't know at the time. But um, it's interesting, wasn't it? I, I don't know if you remember back then how, how much clamour and how much uh, support there was for Tony Smith to make sure that he remained a Robin. Yeah. First, firstly, I've just uh, I'm just listened to really know that stuff off. You, you could write a book about it, couldn't you? It's... Well, it's funny to mention that because I know somebody who has, and he's featured on the podcast. He's announced he's got a second book coming out. I think it's going to be out in time for Christmas. So make sure you go to your local bookshop in time for when it's released. We'll get Dan on the podcast to tell us about it. He was going to come on the podcast earlier, but he's so busy sorting his book out that he's he's not been able to, Carl. So... Luckily, we'll be able to read about it very soon. Yeah, absolute whirlwind, like you say. There's a couple of couple of uh, subjects you brought up there. I just totally forgot about because there's just that much gone on from from the beginning of the season to this point, you know, today. So, yeah, regarding the Tony Smith saga, I mean, most most sports fans have got very short mem- memories, haven't they? So, with us with us being semi final football last year. Everybody, you know, Tony at that point in the in the timeline, Tony Smith's a messiah, isn't he? You know, and then it's all it's all up in the air and things going on, and he might be going to Leeds, he might not be. So, yeah, there was a lot of favour for him at the time. Uh, we all know what happened in the end, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, d- uh, Dan, before we move into April, uh, that victory over Lee in the Challenge Cups kick-started in a run of one, two, three, four, five, six victories on the trot. Prior to that, we'd only won two games out of six. After after six games, what were your thoughts about Rovers in uh, and how they were doing? Are you thinking we've just been brought down to earth with a bump, haven't we? That was that was the general feeling. I mean, even the league game in the cup, it was yeah, not convincing. I know we had six or seven players out. It would say one convinced we probably took our foot off the throats a little bit, didn't we? But we should have beaten by more. But yeah, it won't it won't convincing. And you're thinking this could be a long season if we carry on just losing games in the in the manner that we were. We probably should be winning some of the games, but throwing them away. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought we'd go on that run after that. There's some uh, some good wins in that run. Yeah, definitely. Graham, uh, one of the standouts for me, though, was the emergence of Mikey Lewis. As, as probably not being a big part player, somebody who was going to feature regularly for the Rovers. And, and he, he looked he looked like to be taking that responsibility on and thriving on it. 
yeah, I think we've seen glimpses, haven't we, season before, and we've seen in the, the, the game against Warrington in the semi-final that the, the sort of magical things that he could do. Um, so that that gives us a nice taster for what to expect for the season. I think we all wanted to see more. We all want to see more. And I think we, we got glimpses of it at early part of the season, but I think he had an injury early on in, in the first part of the season, which kept him out for a little bit as well. Um, so I think we want, moving forward, we want him to be fit. We want him to be performing at a high level because I think if we can keep him on the field, it gives us that that absolute X factor, which which can be a difference, um, game-winning difference. I think we saw his worth in the Magic Weekend uh, game uh, a few months back where he got his hat-trick, a diff- different style of hat-trick as well. So it, it just proves his versatility around not just being a runner. He can he can do play other people and he can, he can kick, uh, chip and chase. He's got lots of aspects to his game, which for, as, a, as a defender, they're going to keep you honest. It's going to keep you on your toes. So so hopefully, moving forward, from, we, we can keep him fit. We can get him a, a regular halfback partner that, that he can work with. And then they can play off a solid pack in front of him to, to, to sort of dictate games and, and get us on the front foot a, a lot of the time in games. Yeah, and April was a busy month for the Robins. Firstly, we saw one of the best performances of the season with the Robins dispatching Warrington 34 points to 18 at a Raucous Craven Park. This was followed up by another 30-plus points performance with Rovers booking a place in the Challenge Cup semi-final after defeating Castleford for the second time this season. And the rich vein of form continued into the Easter doubleheader with the Raytons-inspired Robins defeating the Black and White 16 points to four before travelling over to Toulouse just two days later to defeat them 28 points to 24. Rovers chalked up another victory, their sixth in a row, this time against Wakefield with the Red and Whites once again scoring 30-plus points. But it will be a performance against Leeds at Headingley that will live long in the memory for many supporters as the Robins finished the month with a dispiriting 12-0 drubbing at the hands of the Rhinos. It was off the field, though, where tongues were really wagging, with Tony Smith announcing that he was intending to depart the Robins at the end of the season. Uh, Takarangi also received a suspended sentence after being found guilty of drink driving back in January. But despite this announcement, Elliot Minchella nailed his colours to the mask with the club, announcing he had penned a brand new four-year deal. Um, April, what a month. James, uh, how do you sum up April? A bit quiet, really, wasn't it? Not going on. <laughs> God, what can you say? I mean, if ever a month is going to typify or typify what Rovers are all about, that, that was it. Total little roller coaster, as you say, starting off with that that win against Warrington, and I think that atmosphere that that, that night was was superb. And I think you know you've got to give credit to the club for the initiative to uh, you know, get you know, get fill, basically fill you know fill the ground um, and that created the right atmosphere, and it was a great performance. But then you know it, it was just just up and down. You know every, everything was up and down, and you know I suppose the biggest thing was was obviously Tony Smith. I think. And I was saying he was he was going in the way, but the manner he did it, and I suppose having then beaten Wakefield, a very poor Wakefield, we thought well, actually okay things are going to be okay, things are going to be st- stabilised. But then that Leeds performance, the performance at Leeds was oh, <laughs> thanks for reminding about it. It was absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah, Mikey. I mean that that first game in April, the round seven fixture against Warrington. You know there was over ten thousand in the crowd. Um, and Rovers, the team seemed to really respond to that. Didn't they? The start of the game was absolutely uh, on fire. 
it was relentless because even the second half, the Robins continued to dominate the game. And, you know, for me, that was one of the best nights at Craven Park uh, during the season. Yeah, that, that the, the, under the lights, as we say, with, a, with that kind of performance was absolutely brilliant. And if you cast your minds back as well, that, that game had a was it half an hour delay to kick off. Uh, yes. 20 minutes yeah. delay to kick off because Warrington had got, got stuck in traffic on the way in. And it was just them little things. Everything just seemed to fall our way on that night. And we've had a lot of bad luck in the back half of the season. But I think we got a little bit on that night. And it was great to uh, sort of really capitalise on it with, a, with an outstanding victory. Yeah, and uh, to then follow that up, Mike, with a, another outstanding performance uh, to defeat Castleford Tigers on Booker Place in the Challenge Cup semi-finals. It finally felt that after an inconsistent start to the season that the Robins were finally getting their act together and, and was playing the rugby that we become uh, that had become synonymous with us in the uh, in the previous season. Yeah, we, in April we had the quite a good little run of home games, didn't we? Was it the first? Then we had the the eighth we played Cast. Then on the fifteenth we played FC. So we had we had three sort of like runs where where we had three home games back to back to back, and we really made that momentum and the atmosphere down at, at Craven Park really yeah uh, really make its uh, make its atmosphere felt, and that was something that we really did feel. Us we bounced off it. The crowd bounced off it. The players bounced off it, and victories followed. It was amazing. Yeah, um, and then. The Good Friday victory, Carl, over uh, our rivals. You know, an, another fantastic occasion. You know, what the club had done with Craven Street. There was a big crowd in, the ratings, they were there. It all added to the to the atmosphere and it became more than just a game. It became an actual event. And although it probably wasn't the prettiest of games, Rovers looked the better team. And of course, we saw that fantastic try uh, from Lachlan Coo, probably his best game in a Rovers shirt this season. Um, and things were looking rosy, wasn't they? Yeah, most definitely. I think, uh, again, like James was saying, credit to the club because it wasn't just a game, it was the, the full day experience, wasn't it? Getting there, Craven Street, Ratons, all that happening. And basically get, getting, the, getting the crowd going before even the lads have even come out to warm up. So, yeah, it was a great occasion. The lads got, you know, Got the backing of the supporters and the crowd, and they did the business, didn't they? Yeah, and then Graham, we've done, we did something that we don't do on many occasions. We then backed up a Good Friday victory with a, a fantastic back to the walls performance against Toulouse. We came back from France with the victory after coming back from behind. Everything's looking rosy. Rovers have got a place in the Challenge Cup semi final. We've beat our dearest rivals. We've put together a decent run of results, and then bang. Tony Smith announced he's going to depart Hulkington Rovers at the end of his contract. I mean, it's hard to to, to probably look back and, and, you know, really put your emotions, you know, remember what your emotions was like then. But that was a seismic, like, unbelievable moment as a Hulkington Rovers supporter when things were looking so good. It, it was, and as, as fans, you sort of clinging on to the, the positives of where we're at now, the, the, the two semi-final opportunities we've had, playing some good stuff, we're on a good roll of results, everything's rosy, and then, like you say, there's that, that bombshell that's dropped. But, uh, again, he, he's he chose not to renew a contract, which was his right to do so. Now, I know people might not agree with that, but he, he didn't do anything other than the timing of upsetting us. <coughs> Legally, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't approach anybody to go and join them. He just said, I'm not going to renew my contract for whatever reason that might have been. And 
for, for us as fans, it was a well, why not? What's what's wrong with why why don't you want to continue mm. this? We'd seen lots of improvement off the field. We'd now started to see that improvement on the field. So it's like, well, what what is it? And as a fan, I remember trying to process why he wouldn't want to continue that and what what triggered that. There must be something, and you know, there's obviously rumours as as there usually is in the city around rugby, anything happening, and about why not, but. But as a fan, to understand something, to, to sorry, to, to judge something, you've got to be able to understand it first. And we just didn't understand why it was happening, what was the logic behind it. There wasn't anything real concrete that was coming out from either the club or, or from Tony Smith. And certainly the manner in which it was done in terms of the, the etiquette around informing the, the, the hierarchy at the club, um, that I think is what, from a, from a, a a fan's perspective, was well, hang on, why has he done that like that? That that doesn't sit right, and I think that's where sort of wheels started to be uh, to, to to come a little bit off for, for Tony, and and that that run we went on after that just led to the ultimate, um, you know, the ultimate price being paid with it. Yeah, Dan. I mean, Gray mentioned it there. I think for a lot of supporters, it wasn't necessarily what he announced he was going to do. It was the way he went about it and, and just the the lack of class and probably professionalism that he, uh, and the, the lack of gratuity that he probably extended to the club at that moment, especially to Neil Hudgel, um, who would obviously brought him in. It just seemed a bit of a classless way of doing things. And um, I know at the time, as many Rovers fans would probably wanted him to go there and then. Yeah, I was, I was one of them at the time. I think... The way he did it was very disrespectful to the club. I think reading into it, it's he obviously didn't give Neil Udgell any warning, did he? He was mm-hmm. was he doing the Boston Marathon or something at the time? He got woke up, got woke up by a phone call. And by the way, I'm not going. Uh, by the way, I'm not staying. Um, I think it, you can only read into it that there was a disagreement somewhere, and he's just spat his dummy out, to put it bluntly. I think the way he went about it, saying I'm not going to be sticking around next year. I think I feel like he could have could have gone about it better. I think he'd have got a lot more respect from the from the fans, from everybody, if he'd have said to Neil, "Look, you can announce it in your way, however you want, but I'm not not sticking around. It's not for me. I don't get on with certain people at the club." Uh, I think he'd have got a lot more respect if he let let the club put out an official statement, gone down that route rather than just. Surprise everybody, basically. And I think, and people can say what they want, but I think that's that's where the season took a massive downturn for us. And I think it. I know we're going to go into it later, but it picked up when Danny Maguire got got the job when Smith got the got the axe. And I I think in benefit of hindsight, it should have done that straight away. Yeah, and Mike, it didn't seem to affect the players too much with them then backing up uh, after that. Announcement and defeating Wakefield. Um, obviously, they came away with a victory, but we then got, went on to get only one victory in our next nine games. And that defeat against Leeds, albeit prior to the Challenge Cup semi-final, uh, Tony Swift made a couple of big calls, resting some a couple of key players. Um, but that performance ranks up there with one of the, the worst I've seen in recent years. Um, and we're just talking about, weren't we, about how important it was probably to be going into that Challenge Cup final, uh, semi-final with some momentum, that feel-good factor we'd built up. And it was almost like someone had put a, a pin to a balloon and, and 
uh, that performance against Leeds, you was almost wondering, well, how are we going to recover from this? Because surely, you know, this this isn't a side that's um, going to be able to go challenge Huddersfield in the semi-final on the back of well, on the back of the news that Tony Smith had announced he was going to depart. Yeah, that must have been um, the first time that Rovers have gone into a fixture at Headingley against Leeds Rhinos as favourites, because. When you cast your mind back to that, we were in a really good place. We were playing some good rugby, obviously. You know, we'd had, uh, you know, the Smith news, but it's we were playing some good rugby. Leeds was in dismay. They'd sat their head coach. Um, Rowan Smith hadn't yet arrived. And it was a really good opportunity for us to capitalise and and get a, quite a rare win at Headingley for, for the Robins. And yeah, that it was it was a bad night. It was just, it was error ridden. And, you know, I, I think of Ben Crooks knocking on, on our line for the first try and, it just didn't get any better from there, did it? Yeah, and to cap it off, Lachlan Kill comes away with an injury, rolls him out of the uh, semi-final. Um, and I remember that game as well because we had the uh, the Lot Pod podcast guy on. He he came on and he he couldn't see anywhere whatsoever Leeds Rhinos were going to get a victory. He could not predict it. The San Zakadek, didn't they? Just a few days prior, but he event he didn't play in the game. Um, and it looks nailed on for Rovers' victory. Uh, but as we know, that doesn't always pan out. Um, good news, though, Carl. Elliot Minchella penning a, a four-year deal on the back of Tony Smith's um, announcement because there was a lot of worry, wasn't there, from supporters that would this spark an exodus? Would players be, be following him? Would that uncertainty uh, mean that players wouldn't maybe put pen to paper and so they see all the new coaches because also it was going into uh, the time where players could start talking to other clubs as well. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. What I was going to say then regarding regarding that was uh, I think the club was very, very cute and clever the way they announced the uh, the new extensions to signings and things because it was in a bit of a, of a rut at that point, wasn't we? And as the, as the sort of the season progressed and and got to that semi-final point. We saw Minchella started off with his with his extension, and we, we sort of kept getting a bit of negative news every week. But there was all the club was always putting another extension forward to try and to try and keep us upbeat. So in that respect, the club was uh, very clever the way they did that. But like you say, with Elliot Minchella, you know, I think that set, set the rest rest you know rest of players to follow suit. So it was definitely a massive massive boost to get Elliot on board again. Yeah. And from the, the relative highs of April to the lows of May, three defeats in three games, which included a semi-final demolition by the Huddersfield Giants, which had many supporters questioning whether Tony Smith's departure should be hastened. Rovers, though, were still handily placed in seventh spot come the end of the month, but comprehensive defeats to Castleford and Catalan left many supporters sombre. But there was good news in May with the announcement from the club that Willie Peters will be becoming the new head coach yeah. with Matty Parcells, Sam Wood and Jimmy Kynos all agreeing to stay on beyond 2022. Um, that Challenge Cup semi-final, Dan, um, Rovers went over in big numbers. Um, you know, we'd had that, that embarrassing defeat to Leeds. That was put behind us. We were starting to suffer a little bit from injuries. Um, Kane Lynette being one of them injured, uh, who was injured. He put his hand up to play. I mean, it must have been his good hand and not his bad one because uh, as we saw him come and do that warm-up and he was patched up more than a mummy from uh, the Egyptians, you know, we was all wondering how on earth is he going to play? But that semi-final defeat just left a bit of a, a bit of taste in many supporters' mouths. 
Yeah, well, Kane then put his hand up. Tony Smith, in hindsight, should have put his sort of put his hand down. It was not nothing against Kane Lynette. He's brave of him to play, but he was nowhere near fit, and it's it, it was just beggar's belief that he played. I think we were probably guilty in that game. The fact that we turned up was it six or six and a half thousand we took to Leeds that day. It's just a party atmosphere, wasn't it? I think we all turned up thinking we've got the easy draw against Huddersfield, top of these, and we'll. Off we go to Tottenham, but yeah, I think looking back over the season, I just feel they've been a top side, haven't they? So, really, we were probably underestimated him a little bit. But I think that was that was the game when you sort of think this is there's something wrong here now. This this goes beyond the playing squad. This, this is the game when you sort of think, yeah, I think maybe we do need a change now. We're not what have we got to lose left in the season at this point. I think there's just too many negatives to take from that day. I think it just left left a really bitter taste in the mouth for most fans. I think that was the point where people did start to turn on Tony Smith at that point. Yeah, and during that game as well, uh, Mike, we lost Jordan Abdul the season-ending injury. Um, and, you know, Dan's quite right. There was a lot of negativity around around the club, weren't they, at that stage? There was lots of things happening off it, like Carl already mentioned. We had... Um, players signing new contracts, etc. So it, it, the future looked looked a bit more rosy. But the here and now in May, after that semi final defeat, and then the other two defeats to to Castleford and Catalan, you know, we're all scratching our head really, seeing where the, the season's going to take us. Because, like Dan said, there was there was um, the criticism of Tony Smith was really starting to mount. It was. And I think at that time, especially with hindsight now, we've kind of got to say rightly so as well. I think in those in those first few months, Tony Smith he did he took some risks. He took the risk in, in playing Brad Takarangi um at the beginning of the season and his form was appalling. Um he took the risk of starting Lachlan Coote against Wigan, first game of the season after not playing in the preseason, picked up an injury, took the risk of bringing him back when we played St Helens at home. That again was too soon. He took the risk against Leeds by resting some players and playing some others. There was a lot of risk-taking that didn't quite pay off. And, you know, fortune favours the brave. And I, I do respect him for, for taking those risks. It's just a really big shame that hardly any of them paid off. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There was a lot of risks. And, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Did we need to take them risks? Who knows? I mean, if it works, he's an absolute genius. And if he doesn't, you know, he falls on his sword, which ultimately... Happened. I suppose, James, the biggest frustration is Rovers don't get to Challenge Cup finals or Grand Finals very often, do they? So when they go put a performance like that in against the Huddersfield Giants, um, you know, it's an hard one to take, isn't it? Yeah, it was very hard. And I think for me, the big decision was playing Clip Ken and that, you know, as, as Dan said, you know, he put his hand up and, you know, you, you, you've got to give Ken credit for that. But I think you've got, then got to question Tony Smith to sort of say, well, actually, you're not fit. This is an important game. And I think history, if you look through the history of the game, you go into big games with players injured. You know, I was, you just look at Rovers in 1986 Cup final, playing Gavin Miller all scrapped up, backfired. And that was another thing. And you could see in the warm-up that Lynette just wasn't fit and it shouldn't have played. And I think with him going off after 15 minutes or so, you know, it just looked as though it was almost it looked like they just deflated the whole team and it just looked like we just weren't going to score and it just wasn't going to be one of those days for us. And, you know, it sort of turned out and it was just, again, just a massive opportunity missed, really. 
Yeah, I wonder at that point, Graham. I mean, there was still a lot of rugby league to be played over the course of the season, wasn't there? So, obviously, the Challenge Cup final being moved earlier into the season. Um, May wasn't a great month. You know, three defeats, including the Challenge Cup semi-final defeat. Um, what was your thinking with games still to play? Do you think there was an opportunity for us to, to still do something? Or was you thinking, you know, with Tony Smith at the helm, it, we're going to struggle here? Yeah, there was probably mixed emotions, I think, coming off the back of the semi-final defeat. I think probably like you lads, um, was was sort of reminding myself of the, the debacle of a performance we put in at Leeds uh, in our previous uh, showing up at Wembley and wanted to sort of right some of those wrongs with a better performance. So so the actual defeat and the manner of defeat against Huddersfield was a was a, was a, a big body blow for, for me in terms of morale. Um, I was initially... I won't say on the side of Tony Smith, but I could, I wasn't clamming for him to go early doors. But the longer things went on, the results, the performances didn't come our way. You couldn't see any way out of it with him there. Um, so I think there was only ever going to be one outcome, and he was never ever going to see his, his his contract out till the end of the season. But as as ever, the optimist that, that I tend to be, you see the announcements of the Minchellas, the Parcells of this world, and look toward the future about what we could do. And I think for me, Parcel was a massive recruitment uh, recruitment coup for us, whether it was just agent talk at the time around Australia and all of that, I'm not quite sure, probably. Um, but for me, Parcel, securing Parcel's future, I think was a massive shot in the arm for us, even though it didn't necessarily transpire to results on the field, longer term, tying him down, the quality of, of him as a number nine for us. I think that was a massive um, cause for optimism for the rest of the season. It was just, again, at that time when regular injuries were starting to bite us. And not, I don't think anybody could predict that it would go on for so long as a as an injury crisis. But certainly had optimism because, as you say, I think we were knocking still around sixth, seventh in the table. Um, there was teams in and around us. We weren't cut adrift by any means. So getting back on the horse and putting a good run of, run of results together would have seen us consolidate that top six position. And I felt, felt there was still that, that opportunity right up until, you know, the last three or four weeks of the season was, was still there as an opportunity to cling on to. Yeah. And June did see the Robins finally arrest that run of bad form with the red and whites putting 43 points past the stuttering Salford side. That, though, was a positive blip in an otherwise alarming run of form. Fair defeats to St. Helens and Huddersfield again before an early July defeat to Toulouse left Neil Hudgel and Paul Lakin with no option other than to dispense with Tony Smith's services after two and a half years as head coach. Off the field, there was some good news with Willie Peters letting slip on the podcast that Reese Kennedy, Jesse Sue and Tom Oppertit would be following him to East Hull uh, the following season. But for me, Mike, what became apparent was that, um, and it, I think it started with Sean Kennedy when he announced his, he would be staying at Rose for a further season, is that, Willie Peters was starting to get involved in the preparation for the upcoming season. Uh, and he was starting to be a bit more involved. And, and for me, it seemed to be like once that started to happen, Tony Smith was becoming a bit more marginalised and, and it looked like the writing was on the wall, albeit with an alarming run of form, probably putting paid to his uh, to his departure at Hull Kingston Rovers. But ultimately, something had to change, didn't it, Mike? And, you know, that performance against Salford was absolutely fantastic. Lack and cool kicking seven from seven. But we just couldn't seem to get it going again, could we? And and that stuttering run of form, 
disappointing run of form ultimately paid for Tony Smith uh, and, and his time at Ulkington Rovers. It, it did, and it's it's quite sad to look back on it now and sort of see how it all transpired because in another universe it could have been so very different in, in so many different ways. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you say about the, the, the Peters communication. Um, obviously, we know more now than we knew uh, at this time about Peters' involvement with communicating with Danny Maguire and then even sort of senior players within in the playing group. Uh, they've obviously bought into what Willie Peters is doing. And that's probably where the friction came from between Danny Maguire and Tony Smith, which Maguire did allude to at the, the awards evening. Um, you, you, you know, we're looking from the outside in. We could be, you know, scoring an own goal with these opinions. But when you're trying to connect dots and you're looking at it that way, there just has to be some sort of correlation there for me because Tony Smith and Danny Maguire must have had a, a, a pretty good relationship. You know, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Danny Maguire, Tony Smith wouldn't have come to Hull KR because that's where that initial connection came from. When, uh, when Tim Sheens was relieved of his position during that 2019 season. So there's obviously been a really good relationship there that's obviously been tainted and soured, and that's probably where I would put my money on that coming from. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to hear, isn't it, what Danny Maguire said recently about his relationship with Tony Smith. I think he's pretty much said he hasn't fallen out with him, but he's not spoken to him either. So reading to that, whatever you want. Um, on the representative side, there was... Uh, recognition for Sean Kenny Dowell. He was named captain of the um, nation uh, combined nations all stars. Ryan Hall represented England in that fixture. George King was announced that he was going to be the the captain of Ireland at the uh, upcoming World Cup. Um, and obviously, the announcement that uh, Opechik, Jesse Sue, and Reese Kennedy coming to Robins in 2023 pretty much put the nail in the coffin for Albert Vette, Brad Takarangi, and Corbin Sims. Uh, that they would be leaving the club. Um, injuries as well started to bite. Uh, George King and Ryan all picked up injuries and we were starting to pick up injuries at a rapid pace, weren't we, Carl? Um, one player who I think has excelled as a result of the injury situation and has really took the opportunity is Will Tate. And it was in June, he signed a two-year extension. Um, and I, I, I don't know what you think, Carl, but I think he's definitely one for the future, especially when you consider that Sean Kenny Dowell might only be here for, for one more year. Yeah, he's, he's for a young lad to come in under all that sort of, you know, that negativity around the squad, you know, it's it's an opportunity for them young lads. And I think that's him, him as well as, you know, likes of Fishwick, etc. That's one of the biggest positives for me for the full season. We've had so much, so much gone on, so much negativity. Them young lads could have easily folded, couldn't they? And, you know, not took the opportunities that they did. So for the young lads to come through and show show a bit of strength, it's definitely a massive positive positive for me through through the course of the season for sure. Yeah, and we finished June, uh, Graham. We finished June um, in seventh spot, and we was bobbing around that sort of sixth, seventh, eighth spot in Super League. So there was still a chance there, weren't the of us? You know, if we had a strong end to the season, um, and I suppose the appointment of Danny Maguire. Um, Galvanised the supporters and evidently galvanised the players as a group as well. Um, was there any optimism that if we could, um, you know, if we if Danny Maguire could inspire the boys to to get a more consistent run of uh, results, that we might have a chance at the playoffs? Or was you starting to read in between the lines with the injuries and the inconsistencies that it might just be a bridge too far for us? 
Yeah, I, I was I was on the positive side of, of, of the optimism of of we've still got a chance of the playoffs, and I think Maguire's first first game in charge was Magic Weekend. Uh, there was a big deal made about that. Again, I went into that one thinking we should have won. Or, uh, even afterwards, I still think we should have won that game um, with, with, with that um, level of performance. But I think the, the couple of games after that, I think we saw the, the shoots of, of positivity around the team performance again and, and some of that backbone that we've been talking about earlier on in the, in the, in the season on the podcast starting to come to fruition. So I think there were subtle changes that, that we noticed on the pitch that Maguire had brought into to the playing squad, which again, for me, left me with the optimism that actually we could put a run of results together because the teams in and around us, the Castlefords, Salfords of this world, they were stumbling as much as we were at that particular point, hence why we stayed 6th, 7th, 8th with, with a poor run of results. We didn't drop down the table like a stone like we, we could have done if their results had been any better than ours. So I think for me there was, there was always that optimism and even I think that lasted right up until the last three, three or four games of the season where we still had a squeak at, at, at getting into that top six. Obviously, it didn't play out that way. And I, on balance, I don't think we deserved to get in the top six. But there was still that optimism there of, of, of a good end to the, the season if we could have just got those three or four results, positive results on the bounce to give us that momentum that we needed. Yeah. And and Dan, you look at that first game in charge for Dan Maguire. I mean, what a crazy game that was. Absolutely baptism of fire for him up in Newcastle. Magic weekend. Um, fantastic hat-trick from Mikey Lewis. Showed us everything that's great about Mikey. Four disallowed tries. Um, and the emergence of Zach Fishwick uh, making his Super League bow as a 17-year-old. Um, and I suppose when we look at the back end of the season... The emergence of players like Zach Fishwick has, has given people plenty of optimism for the next few years, at least. Yeah, but that's, as Carl says, probably one of the, the big positives to take out of this season from that injury crisis at the end of the season. We've got the amount of kids, the likes of Connor Barley, Connor Moore, uh, Zach Fishwick, all coming through, making first-team appearances. I think that's the big positive to take from all of this. It's the the fact that we, we've demonstrated we can produce talent that can hold their own in Super League, which is massive for the future. I think that's that's where the big teams, the Wiggins, the Saints of the world, they they focus on youth development, so they've got, got a youth player that can just slot in, and and that's what we've demonstrated. We, we you know, they're not they're not world beaters, but the seventeen they can slot in if we need them to, and that's that was a major positive from, from where I'm sat. Yeah, and James, you know, we did taste defeat in that game, but we did manage to score 28 points. And it did look like the Robins had finally got a bit of spark back. We followed that defeat up with two victories, Wakefield. And then we've already mentioned the home performance against Warrington being up there with one of the best of the seasons. But for me, that performance away at Warrington, um, to come away with a victory from that game was, uh, it was an outstanding result. And it was a real back-to-the-wall performance. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, sort of like... Agree with Graham that I think for me I was sort of fairly positive that we could still make the playoffs. You know, keep we had a lot of players who could potentially be coming back towards sort of end of July, beginning of August, and sort of both of the team going into, into into a playoff fight. But it was the games against the likes of Wakefield and, and Warrington away where perhaps in in years gone by we might have faltered and that would have then scuppered our season. But they actually, you know, they actually came out with victories in them. So that helped. You obviously helped helped us keeping that. Uh, in that fight for the playoffs, 
and going back to the magic one, I think, you know, yeah, we, that one, I think we deserve to win. And the change, transition from Smith going to Maguire coming as interim and the way the play, team was playing was just, it was just like chalk and cheese. And it was that the, the, the playing in those games, like the team we really wanted and expected to, you know, really wanted to see. Yeah. And Danny Maguire called that that victory over Warrington as one of his proudest moments in sport. Three uh, tries for the Robins in the fi final 14 minutes ensured victory from the Robins. Though um, on the end of the at the end of the game, though, it did leave him with a headache. I think he said he had 20 first team players injured after it, and you know it became a feature of the end of season. Didn't it? Injuries absolutely curtailing any chance really of putting any con consistency together. Um, off the field, we saw Brett Delaney come in early from the York City Knights. Um, he's one of Willie Peters' assistant coaches. Obviously, the departure of Tony Smith um, quickened up his um, joining up with the Robins. One of the, probably the strangest loan signings uh, ever seen in rugby, we saw Louis Senior sign from Huddersfield uh, and go back to Huddersfield without him making an appearance, although it was then confirmed that he would be joining the Robins permanently next season. Um, and sadly, we also also saw the sad passing of Zouk Emma, um, uh, a fantastic servant to Kingston Rovers. Um, plenty of stuff going on, on the pitch and off the field. And I suppose, Graham, Zouk, um, you paid a fantastic tribute to him on the podcast um, just after uh, the announcement that Zouk had passed away. And he's... Um, you know, there's a, a tribute night that's going to be held at the end of September in honour of him to raise money for his family, etc. Um, and another one who's sadly been taken too early from us. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm sure there's other clubs with with other players in other sports as well where, where it happens. And it's you, you just got to remember the positives and the the, the the beauty of what players used to bring to the squad. And like I said on the the, the podcast at the time, I was a as a young kid uh, at the old Craven Park watching Zouk and. And the players of that era, uh, as a sort of ten-year-old lad that I was watching him at, at that age, and he, he was a, a big lad at the time. And that this was at the time when he used to be able to run on the field after games as, as kids and, and ask for tie-ups and, and whatnot from the players. So I remember jumping over the fence and standing next to Zook and thinking how big he was and how much growing I needed to do if I wanted to to, to sort of play rugby, which um, which no, never came to fruition, thankfully. Uh, I, I stuck to my football, but but yeah, Zouk and, and others who have gone as well, uh, far too young. Um, but again, I, I think from the positive side, you look at the memories that they've made for you as a as a as a fan first and foremost, and then once you know you got to know him a little bit as well, a fantastic person, um, loved his family, uh, devoted to his family, etc. Very good career at, at, at rugby, which was cut short for, from an injury perspective and concentrated on his. Fire service career as well, so so yeah, absolutely one one again like many cut too way too short. Yeah, yeah. And the Robins started August in sixth place, although many supporters were looking towards the bottom of the table rather than the top. Victory over Toulouse put pay to any phase of relegation, but defeats to Leeds, St Helens, and then Wakefield ensured that the Robins would not be featuring the playoffs come the end of the season. A bank holiday Monday victory over a depleted Wigan side and then a scintillating Derby Day victory over Hull FC did ensure Rovers finished the season on a high, but those results papered over the fact that the Robins were down to the bare bones with the Red and Whites able to name a 16-man squad for the final season game only. Um, I suppose it was a funny end to the season, wasn't it, 
Mike, because yes, we wanted to be in the playoffs. You know, at one stage, some supporters were fearing relegation, the way that Wakefield had started picking up results. But the injury list, and it's not something we like to go on, but it really did take its toll, especially in that last month, oh, well, penultimate month, um, August, because, the, you know, we just couldn't seem to, to, to get any consistency in the players in the positions that we were supposed to be playing in. No, I, when I when I think about it, I, I think I think I'm quite relieved we didn't make the playoffs from a supporters' perspective. I mean, the club from a financial one was probably really scratching and clawing for us to get there. Uh, but from a, <clears throat> from a fans' perspective, I'm quite content with how the season ended for us. Um, yeah, okay, it would have been great to make it, but just with what we had and the adversity that we'd already faced, uh, I just felt like it was always going to be a stretch too far. Um, with regards to the, the you know the playing group that we had, but when you think of the adversity that we've had to face, and some of the youngsters that have got game time probably beyond their wildest dreams, they're hopefully going to be in a much better place when it comes to 2023 and the the progression. Because we've spoken in the past about reserve grade and academy grade, um, you know we, we've seen Fishwick and Barley both represent the academy at the weekend after playing sort of close to 10 games in the uh, in the Super League between them, it's going to do their development really well playing against these big belly blokes instead of playing against kids of their own age. It's going to really progress their development. Yeah, yeah. And like we've already said, that has been a, a fantastic uh, end of season for the Robbers in terms of the emergence of players like Zach Fishwick and Connor Barley. Um, suppose uh, something worth not, you know... <laughs> Really disappointing, really. We talked about Warrington being that uh, at home, being a fantastic victory from the Robins. But, Carl, that was actually Tom Garrett's final appearance in Hulkington Robbins shirt. He's been released from his contract early with the Robins. Um, concussion symptoms, head knocks, etc., etc. You know, the club probably doing the right thing by Tom and giving Tom the space and opportunity to, to sort himself out. So, hopefully, it's not the end of Tom Garrett playing rugby league. But... Obviously, for him, Carl, it's a very sad moment, isn't it? Because in the glimpses that we saw of Tom, he did look like he was taking his opportunity to become a Super League player. Yeah, without a doubt. It was it was definitely making small strides forward, wasn't it? I mean, uh, you know, us as supporters, we just, you know, we're, we're all on the sidelines and we just want him on the field, don't we? And we want, you know, likes of Tom and other players that suffer with these concussion injuries to give their all for the team, but Ultimately, that their health must come first. The human beings have all got families, and their health must must come first. And like you say, you know, the club have done the right thing by Tom, and hopefully, he can get over these. And you know, like you say, kick on with his rugby league career wherever that may be. But yeah, obviously, best wishes to Tom and his family. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it was in August that the club announced that Yusuf Iden would be joining from Wakefield Trinity. They also confirmed who would be departing the club with Ben Crooks, Brad Takarangi. Albert Vette, Corbin Sims, Will Maher, Tom Garrett, Charlie Kavanagh, Adam Russell, Nathan Cullen, Bailey Dawson and Tom Wilkinson all departing the Robins. Um, I suppose, Dan, it was a, a bit of a strange uh, end to the season. We've just mentioned, you know, we started the podcast talking about our victory over Hull FC. That was obviously following the fantastic performance over Wigan. Um, I suppose, yes, we didn't finish in the playoffs, but... From a supporter's point of view, it is good to finish the season on a bit of positivity um, with lots to look forward to in 2023. Yeah, I think it was quite quite clever from 
Maguire really. Uh, naming the 16, like you say, he could have slung another reserve in there that probably wasn't wasn't ready or match fit. But I, I think it was a bit of a dig at the RFL, really, wasn't it? Though the 16, but it took the pressure off us. It, it, we, even if we got 50 points put on us, it's well, you beat 16, 16 men, and a few of them can't even buy a beer. So <laughs> it's not nothing for them to brag about. But I mean, I stood in the pub before the game. I says. Um, talking honestly, so this would be 30 points in this, I think. And we could put in a good show, it'll be 30 points in this. I didn't think it would be the other way around. <laughs> but it's it's just good the bit of positivity at the end of the season, and you still got a bit of a and it's two, three weeks, I've still got a bit of a buzz about it, and it's it, it's it's just given us that bit of a bit of a positive attitude going into next season and hopefully we can kick off from there. Yeah, and James Rovers finished the season in eighth place on 24 points. Worth noting that's the most points we've achieved in Super League. Um, obviously, there's a number of factors, games played, etc., etc. I don't know if you can take any, any crumb of comfort from that. We played 27 games in Super League. We won 11. We lost 16. Um, when you look back at the season as a whole, is it is it one of disappointment? Is it one of positivity? What What's your take on the on the season as a whole? Ooh, um, I think it's probably one of more, more frustration. Than anything, because I think you know we came into the season with I think, such high high hopes and positivity, having where we'd ended ended last season, getting to the semi final. We, yeah, we had a slow start. Smith going, and you just look at games and you're thinking, "Here's what might have been," you know, like the Challenge Cup semi. And then when you look at the games we've <clears> actually won, we actually only just noted today we've actually only won three games out of the, against the playoff teams. And one of those was against Wigan kids. So I think if we're going forward, it's those it's those sort of teams who were yeah at the top and the pawns that pushing around the, the playoff spots, those are the ones that we need to be winning really. So yeah. yeah, a lot of hope, but ultimately, you know, a lot of frustration as well. You know, not really, <coughs> not at all about the level of injuries we have. And you got to say and hope and fingers crossed and touching wood and whatever that that's the, the rugby injury gods are going to say to us, we've had our fun now with you, we're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, and Mike's quite right, even if we had scraped into the playoffs, yeah. I mean, what would that team would have been like for for a game, you know, last weekend? Who knows? Because it was already patched up and bruised and battered. Never, you know, many, many of them players eking out one more game because it was the last game. So, you know, you can't imagine... Any of the players who are already injured would have been in a position to come back. So, yeah, it had probably been just one game too many anyway. A good point, what Graham mentioned to me previous to, to this podcast is the the much fabled tag of the entertainers that Rovers seems to get. Interestingly, uh, the Robins were the third lowest point scorer in Super League this season, with only Wakefield and Toulouse scoring less points. Um, Graham, is it a justified tag, the entertainers, or, or is it a bit of a myth? I think in patches it was justified, but that was probably born about in that good run we went on. I think if you analyse it over the course of a season, you're quite right. The third lowest point scorers um, in the season, defensively as well, we were you know, one of the worst there. And I've just just sort of looked at a few stats and figures before before we started online um, a, a while back, and to to be knocking around the. Third, fourth place, we needed to win probably a minimum of four more games 
across the course of the season, which doesn't sound a lot. But if you look at the points scored by the top teams compared to ours, we're, we're hundreds of points behind them. And again, I know you've reeled off some stats earlier in the week, John, around um, uh, dummy half, scoots, um, attacking kicks, etc., which which is all well and good. But the execution hasn't been there because it hasn't converted necessarily into points on the board and, and ultimately wins. So again, you could argue that the, the disruption in the, the six and seven spots of, of that creative engine room there hasn't gone in our favour with the injuries overall. But but for me, that's that's a, an area for, for concern that we're not converting as many points as we think we might be and earning that tag as entertainers. I think it was a false tag given to us. Yeah, and obviously, uh, I think it was given by, was it Sky? And, you know, to be fair, the love comes to Craven Park and it's always a fantastic atmosphere. I mean, uh, Mike, so we led the way with the most offloads in Super League, <coughs> uh, most attacking kicks, uh, most dummy half runs. Um, is, is our problem conversion? You know, do we create the opportunities? And, and is our problem actually then converting that into point scoring opportunities? Because... Some of the rugby we have played this season, you know, is, is an absolutely fantastic to watch, isn't it? It's great on the eye. But obviously, we do have a problem with scoring points. Yeah. Um, we, a, a stat that actually you you I half requested on the last podcast <laughs> I was on was how many half-back partnerships mm. we've had. And I, I reached out to you after I'd done a bit of research for you. And we'd had 10 different half-back partners uh, pairing up across um, all of the 30 games this year. And I did a little bit of research myself on some stats comparing this season to last. Now, I did this on all competitions, opposed to it just being the Super League. But we played 23 games last year. We played 20, uh, sorry, we played 30 this one. So we played seven games more. Um, and we scored two points less in seven games more. Um, so last season, we had an average of 24 points scored per game. This season, it was only 19. So you're looking at five points per game down. Uh, tries... We've got 104 this season, 101 last. So we're about to try a game off there as well. Um, bearing in mind, we played seven games less. And when you look at the points that we conceded, um, we averaged 22 and a half points conceded last year. Whereas this year, it was only 21.7. So what that says to me is that our defence is quite similar, but our attack has dropped off based on those um, stats from 2021. And I think that does come down to the fact that Yes, we've had the injuries, but the injuries have been in these key positions when you think of the likes of Koo only playing 17 games. Mikey Lewis, he only played 18 games. Um, Rowan Milnes was actually our most featured halfback with 21 with 21 games, which when you've got a 30-game season and your third-choice halfbacks playing two-thirds of those, obviously, you know, you've got a, an injury crisis in a key position. So when we talk about the, the lack of conversion... Um, yes, it probably was a factor, and a lot of that probably comes down to the key players not being on the pitch for, for long enough. Um, Jordan Abdul, 13 appearances um, across this 2022 season. That's been the, the real killer, is having those halfbacks and obviously Lachlan at fullback not playing in more games. Yeah, and uh, you know, while I was talking about point score, etc., we're currently we're fourth in the table for missed goals. We missed 35 goals. Last season, you know, it is a massive, um, you know, opportunity to score points that Rovers have, have not taken on, on enough occasions. Um, Carl, do you read much into stats or, or do, are you, do you think stats only tell you part of the story? Because the, the thing I was thinking about 
a lot of performances from the Robins this season is the probably many games where you could go, oh, you know what, we, we was just picked right at the end, or it seems to be that if we won, we won well, but when we got beat, it was a pretty comprehensive defeat. Yeah, the, the only stats, the only stat on match to me is the scoreboard. If I, in all honesty, <laughs> is that you know, is that you, you know, is that you, Dave? <laughs> I'm only Keith, if you're listening. I'm only joking. <laughs> you look, you look, Keith alone knows his stuff, does Keith? <laughs> no, no. I, I read, I read into certain stats, Chris. Not yours so much because they're normally <laughs> lame stats. That you know, so. No, I think Mike makes a great point. It's it's them key personnel missing at key times of the season, isn't it? And not not getting no games in the key key players sort of legs, you know. And uh, yeah, there's 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 multiple factors into why this, the season sort of been stopped, isn't hasn't it? But for me, you know, going back to the entertainers tag, that entertainer tag was given to us last year when we was we was more more thrilling to watch, and we had majority of our team, you know, not injured more than not. So, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing for me, the biggest thing for me next season is let's let's get our defence sorted out because we look, when we're playing the teams in and around us, we just look so brittle at times. And, yeah, I think I think Mike um, said this, that was last year, was very similar to conceding points last year to what we've conceded this year. I get that, but, but we also, teams just roll over us, don't they, you know, so if we can sort that D out and compete with the teams in around that playoff, it's got to be for you know good for the future because that's where that's where the game's base, isn't it? Is you know you win you win games off the back of your defence, and if we can improve that, then it's only got to be good moving forward. Yeah, and Keith is watching tonight because he just commented if Tony Smith had gone earlier, we would have made the top six. Uh, who knows? Maybe we could have done. I don't know. Wouldn't would we got the injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I know you don't like listening to my stats, Cal, but I've got some more for you here now. So if you want to mute, mute me, by, by all means. Matty Parcel finished as our Super League top tackler with 742. Mincello was second with 700. Sean Kenny Dowell uh, was our best offloader in Super League with 32. Albert Vette was second with 29. Ryan Hall, of course, we've already mentioned, was our top try scorer. Ethan Ryan uh, was second with 10. And then Mikey Lewis and Lachlan Coote were both on seven. And our top point scorer uh, was Lachlan Coote with 101. Ryan Hall with 60. Uh, and Roy Mills, 42. Um, I suppose, James, that's that's some of our key performers in, in vital elements of the game. But if you if you could name a couple of players who really stood out for you this season, who, who would you name? Um, I'd go with uh, George King. Uh, because... He, you know, when he started, we looked more often than not the games he played. Start, he started, we looked, he looked solid. But once he went off, it just seemed to drop off. The intensity sort of dropped off. Um, and then Jez Litton, although you know, Jez, Jez was absolutely outstanding all season. You know, I think he'd certainly stepped on from where he was uh, last year. Um, and you know, you know, being called up to the England Knights, thoroughly deserved. And I think you know, we've got if we can keep passing and Litton fit and in the squad next year then hopefully we can get back to being the entertainers again yeah yeah hopefully uh dan what was your season highlight uh a couple really in the in the, the obvious ones the last game 
was just brilliant just to get one over on them and just see the I mean, social media was a great place after that, wasn't it? Seeing the meltdown and everything. But um, I don't know. I, I think Warrington at home was person personal favourite. I think that was, it was one of them games where it was just a good feel about the place, wasn't there? A good feel about the... I know we didn't know what, what, what sort of season Warrington were going to have there, but when we... Was it 20, 24-0 after like quarter of an hour you didn't know what to make of it did you you sort of thought this is this is good this is a really good good feel about the place we're playing well throwing the ball around the cat handlers so yeah I'd say between the whole game and that yeah and Mikey I suppose a difficult question but where would you rank this season amongst our others in Super League Um, I feel like it was it was all right because there's a lot of people that are disappointed that we finished eighth. Like when you look at some of our previous seasons, we've been we have been battling at the bottom, and it's it's not really allowed us to have that the break of the cycle, if you like. We we broke that cycle last year where we could get our recruitment done early because you know we weren't in a position where we were going to get relegated. We've continued that again this year. We had that little bit of a wobble, but at that point, a lot of the recruitment and retention will have already been done. So it's important for us to try and keep that momentum rolling for 2023 so you can consider your retention for 24 and also your new recruits. But I, there'll be a lot of people that will be overly disappointed. But we, we, we made it to a semi-final. Granted, you don't win anything for making it to a semi-final. But I still think that gets a, a noteworthy mention. Um, but I, on the whole, I, it's been OK. You know, it's not really sort of stressed me out in terms of worrying about anything. Um, and I think I've really enjoyed it actually I have enjoyed this season Yeah and I suppose you know after the last season uh, a playoff semi-final spot the the expectation around the club was a lot higher than what it had previously been and I think um, to his credit Tony Smith played a big part in that um, obviously this season didn't pan out like like we all wanted it to do but the fact we are now disappointed with a, an 8th place finish Without reaching a Challenge Cup final on the back of a challenge uh, semi on the back of a semi final, it tells us where we are as Rovers fans now and what and what we expect from our club and, and from our teams. And I've got no doubt that when Willie Peters, you know, lands, he should be landing in this country now. I think um, he put on uh, Instagram that he was he was setting off to England uh, early this morning or late last night. Um, that that the aspirations are definitely playoff spot. Um, and uh, maybe a higher place finish than sixth or seventh, you know, hopefully aspirations for that top four. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how that pans out. Graham, if you you could pick out one standout moment from the season, what would it be for you? I think probably that the finale to the season was one standout moment against all the adversity that was knocking around and to finish eighth despite all the adversity that we've had to face naming 16 players the way that I think Maguire must have got them in, in a, during the week and and got a real galvanised spirit with them about, look, I'm going to name 16. It's going to mean more minutes for everybody. What do we think? Are we all buying into this? And they all, they all had to buy into it. And you could tell that on the day that they, they all got that and they all wanted to do it. And I think that was sort of epitomised by that Ryan Hall tweet around the positives and negatives of, of, of the actual naming of 16 players, which I thought was... That gave me an insight of where the players were at on, on that particular game. So, for me, just that way to finish the season against all, all the odds and 
to send us as, as fans into the off season with with some positivity around the, the, the team. You know, if, if the result had gone the other way, we'd have shrugged our shoulders and it'd have been a long winter to get you know get through to, to February again. But again, as as one of the lads said earlier on, that that optimism is still there after that that buzz is still there after the game a few weeks back. So, so for me, I know there were other highs and high points in the in the season in terms of overall performances. And again, the lads have said about the emergence of the younger players coming in to get Super League minutes, which is absolutely success as part of this this season. But but for me, just that way that that finished, I think it just sent everybody off with a, a you know good spring in the step heading into the off season. Yeah, I'll chuck my two pennies worth in. And my highlight or, or moment of the season was the, the Lachlan Cook try. Uh, the second one against LFC on Good Friday, um, you know, qu- quickly followed up his, his his first try. And that it was just almost a moment of utopia, just that realisation that um, a, it was a, a full-length almost try, that realisation that the game looked to be ours, the build-up that we'd experienced up to the game, it was all. It was just a euphoric moment, and I suppose as, as supporters of Ulkington Rovers, as sport lovers, it's them moments you you actually endure all the shit, all the crap bits to have them one one moment, that ten seconds of, of just enjoyment and pleasure. So that was mine. Um, a standout player, I think you can't look further than George King, ever reliant. Um, I mean, an absolute beast of a player. I'm sure he, he's he's half human, half robot because. The, the work rate he goes through. Um, so he's definitely my standout player. And I suppose we, we've already mentioned a little bit that we've got a World Cup coming up. Um, James, we don't want any of our players featuring the World Cup, do we, if we're being selfish? No, we're being selfish, we don't know. Um, as you said, I think, yeah, I mean, it's obviously great from a club point of view that we're able to get that recognition. And I think if, you know, if Ryan Hall makes it into the England squad, I think it will just just really highlight what a class player he is. You know, I think, you know, it, 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 you know is, is, he might have got older, but his, his, his intensity and the way he plays the game hasn't sort of dropped off coming to us, which is great to see. And I think the fact that we'll probably be going to be contributing to quite a few of the team, the, the Ireland team, is going to be, is a, is a real positive with Ryan Halton and, uh, and George Captain in it. So I think we'll all be following Ireland after, uh, after watching England. Yeah, and I suppose, Cal, the two players we definitely don't want to see featuring the World Cup are Lachlan Coote and, and Kane Lynette. Um, I think Danny Maguire said a few weeks ago that, that Coote would be very doubtful for the World Cup based on his, his um, head knocks and his HI assessments. And, you know, call, um, Lynette coming towards the, the latter stage of his career, you know, let's hope we can wrap him up in cotton wool ready for the start of the season because... Um, like we've already mentioned, we, we cannot afford to have another season like we've just had in terms of injuries. No, definitely not. I think, uh, I can't speak for Kane Lynette, but I believe when I uh, watched the awards evening, Lachlan did say he was uh, he was pulling out the World Cup. He wasn't, wasn't going to play for Scotland uh, and he was fully so uh, solely focusing on uh, getting ready and getting his head right, literally, for... Uh, the start of the pre-season and and start of the Super League, uh, so yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about the net, but I know uh, I know Lachlan what he, he's obviously said that. Uh, what I would say is my favourite moment of the season for everybody watching, uh, listening and watching, was uh, the Warrington game away, Chris, when you they scored right at the end. Jez Layton put an absolute belt over a kick in. Uh, I think it was Ethan Ryan who collected it mid-air, managed to catch it, ground it all in one motion. 
you'll run to the front and fall over the barriers, come back with a bloody finger. So that was my highlight of the season. Absolute <laughs> comical. And like you, like you were saying earlier, like you were saying earlier, it's absolute. It's everything. It's not just what's happening on the pitch. It's the euphoria around the ground, around the atmosphere, and that and that is exactly why we're all full Kingston Rovers supporters because it means yeah. that much. And that that instance is uh, and that moment was my highlight of the season without a doubt. Yeah, and in that vein, uh, Keith Pollard's commented his highlight of the season was Albert Vette passing to another prop. <laughs> To forward to score a try, <laughs> uh, so we're all different in in what our season highs are. Mikey, I mean, lots of stuff going off the field. You know, players signing, new head coach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Reasons to be excited in twenty twenty three. You asked me that an hour and 20 minutes into a podcast. Do you want it to last three hours? There is, <laughs> there is so much to be positive about. You know, you've got to think about the way that Danny Maguire has approached, head, head, has been a head coach, and the way that he's taken everything in his stride after almost being, almost playing down um, his ability to be able to do that role. I think that has to go down as, as being a success for, for looking forward to what he's going to bring to, to the playing group again uh, next year with uh, obviously Willie Peters at the helm. Um, a lot of the deals that we've been offering aren't necessarily the one-year deals that we've been accustomed to seeing towards the 2020-2021 season. So, you know, people like Matt Parcell being tied down for two years, very, very important. Um, and also, we're going to have quite a few quarter players um, coming up at end of contract again at the end of next season. So let's see what interesting Aussie imports we can uh, we can bring in for 2024 based on our start to 2023, which has to be good. Yeah. Definitely. And Dan, um, is Willie Peters under a little bit of pressure in his first season at the Robins, just based on the fact we've finished outside of the playoffs and we've had a bit of a stop-start season? Uh, do you think Rovers fans will be expecting to hit the ground running? I think there's always that area of expectation around the place, isn't there? New coach coming in. So he has put pressure on him, Danny Maguire, because he's, <laughs> he's demonstrated he's got everything, and not he, to be a top coach? Just seems to love the club, doesn't he, Danny? At the minute, he's 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 just. I think he's sort of brought that feel-good factor that Tony Smith did have in twenty one, two thousand and twenty one. I think he's brought that feel feel-good factor back to the club and that that air of yeah, we might not be the best squad on paper, but we're going to turn up and we're going to give it our best for eighty minutes. So, but I think yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't got the uh, too much pressure on him, but. I mean, looking at next season, we've finished eighth. Was it four points off off uh, top six? Yeah, it's easily doable. Don't pick up any injuries. It's a top half finish, isn't it? That's all you got to do to get the playoffs. Top half finish. So why not? Yeah, and which of the imports, Graham? Are you looking forward to seeing most? Yeah, I think I think we've talked for a while as as a club. We will, we want some big go forward, so I'm hoping that that uh, we can get that through Sue and Kennedy. But personally, for for me of the imports, I like athletic centres, so I'm looking forward to see Opacic in in full flow um, down that east stand and and really showing us what a good player he could be for us. We've seen glimpses if if people have been watching the NRL recently there. That they've featured um, quite heavily in the last few weeks, so we've had a good opportunity to see some of those players. So I, I think the forwards have got a, a, a good 
job to do in terms of that that platform that we've always been craving to allow the backs to do it. But I think the one that the, the ones that always excite me because the forwards get the the hard yards to do is the flair player. So it's got to be the centre for me. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, James? That right edge next season. Um, I mean, one of the players who's thrived on the on the injuries and, and really cemented his place on that right wing is Ethan Ryan. It's featured at fullback as well. Um, second top try scorer this season. Um, looks were really matured as a player. Um, he's he's he doesn't take a backward step, but he looks dangerous in attack. Um, so that there's going to be a bit of competition on that right wing next season. There is, and I think you know it's a really nice problem for uh, repeaters to have. I think for me, I think Ethan Ryan is, is you know he's probably been one of the most improved players all season. I think we always knew he had pace, but I think this season he's demonstrated his defensive capabilities on a number of occasions, and he just seems to have that all round game now. And then you think you know I'm I'm with, I'm with Graham. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Opacek playing on the, in that right centre. And then on the right wing, God, it's a toss-up between Ryan or, or Senior. And if you think, look at Senior, and it's actually his try-to-appearances ratio. You know, he's scoring something like a try every other game or something like that. So it's going to be a real headache. And I think whoever goes on that wing is going to be um, it's going to be outstanding. And I think our backline is going to be, I think, really exciting next year. If we can keep Lewis, keep Abdul, and keep keep Coop fit. And playing with the three quarters we've got, you know, we can get the forwards creating some momentum for us and some uh, some um, some um, go forward. You know, it's going to be really exciting. Can't wait. Yeah, and we are into silly season at the moment. Obviously, the circus is rolling to town once again. Um, we're at the stage now where players are getting linked with uh, people all over the place. Um, Mike, can you see any more movement, any incomings, any outgoings, or do you think business is done? I reckon there'll be a couple more incomings. I think there's, I'd like to think there's a little bit more wiggle room in, in the championship market. Um, obviously, they're heading into their playoffs now. So there's going to be going to be some interest in the players that don't necessarily make it to Super League. Uh, obviously, we would assume that the that final will probably be Lee and Featherstone, but Halifax might have something to say about that and a couple of the other sides, but there's going to be some some players in that in that championship that have maybe held out on on signing a new <coughs> contract with a club in the hope that a Super League club will come in. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite giving up hope on us uh, finding another little hidden gem like a, a Frankie Holton or a Tom Garrett or somebody who you know could come into the uh, into the first team fold next year. Yeah, I suppose Graham. Um, if you look at our squad now. Um, and obviously there's probably a couple of spots where we need to fill, but is there anything glaring at you where you'd say, yes, we definitely need to get a player in that position? I think, I think I'm think i more longer term in terms of, of that whole left edge uh, pretty soon is, is going to be dismantled. So I think we need to do some proper preparation in, in that area. We know uh, SKD, Lynette, Ryan Hall, Unfortunately, they aren't terminators. They're not going to go on forever. So we have, we've got some time now while we've got them tied down for the year to do some proper planning, some proper recruitment, ways of thinking. You know, a couple of players we've not mentioned really today, tonight. Lewis Johnson's got to come back into the fold as well. And he was doing well for us last season. Unfortunately, it's been curtailed this season by injury. But again, your bachelors of this world, how are they going to fit in? Again, an exciting prospect coming in. 
which which again has sort of slipped under radar of discussion for tonight. But again, how can we you know um, fill that in? I'd still like us to to make sure we've got at least two or three players who can cover each position. You know, we've, we've seen why we why it's so important. We need that um, from this season. But I don't think there's anything glaringly obvious we're missing. But we do look flimsy when it comes to key people, like we've said earlier on in the podcast tonight. Certainly around that that creative engine room of the the, the six and seven position, we we do look um, and we do suffer from from the lack of points when we do have those key players missing. Whether we can afford to to take another one on board, I'm not sure. Um, but I think we've got some good cover all across the pitch. I think the additionality that will come in will hopefully provide some just some strength in numbers. Yeah. Are you having uh are you having Luke Gill, James? <laughs> mm, I'm having uh I think at <laughs> <coughs> his water carrier. Yeah. Or car park attendant. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh Mikey, it's not just a close season now for the for the players of course Hulky okay, shirts. Um another fantastic season for you. Uh, what are your plans for, for the off-season and going into 2023? Um, I've got quite a lot of YouTube videos. I've got all them filmed. I just need to get them edited now. I, I film everything in, in bulk, really, to save getting all the equipment out. So I've got plenty of, of interesting videos to come there. Uh, hopefully, we'll get my hands on a fair few match-worn shirts from that, this 2022 season. Always looking for, for different stories and, and different pieces of, of intrigue. Um and then sort of from a non-selfish point of view, I know you've given him a shout out already, but I'm really looking forward to reading Dan's book when that comes out, um, hopefully in the next sort of month or so, because, I mean, he puts a lot of effort and a lot of time into it. And we spoke in the past about uh, how, as a, as a fan base, we've got quite a lot of unofficial um, social media accounts that offer various different sort of support and um, create content, shall we say, for, for the fan base. And, you know, obviously with, with a podcast, what I do with Hulk KR Shirts, obviously what Dan does with, with Red and White Dynamite. Um, there was a new account that popped up the other day, KR Songbird. I don't know if anybody's seen that. So, you know, it's great to see a lot of um, off-the-field um, intrigue in the club and trying to offer different levels of sort of content to people. Um, the Hulk KR Foundation have also got a new a Twitter account as well. Um, so Alex is doing a lot of work through that, promoting the foundation and the work that they do. So I think it's important for us all to sort of keep together and keep sort of supporting each other and, and helping each other out. And we've got a, a really, really exciting season to look forward to in 2023. Yeah, and a good point you make there, Mikey. I mean, the, the club is more than just a men's team now. You know, the work that the club is doing off the field to, to promote the women's game, the disability game, etc. And for the podcast, especially next season, we definitely want to give more coverage to all Hulkington Rovers sides, not just the men's first team because um, like I said the club are doing fantastic things to make it totally inclusive so definitely in full support of that and that brings us to the end of the Red Robin podcast season review and the last Red Robin podcast for a while as ever a huge thank you to this week's fan panel and everybody else who was featured on the podcast this season there will still be regular content over on the podcast social media accounts plus there is plenty of heritage cast to listen to in the close season. A huge thank you to 360 Chartered Accountants and Budget Ties Auto Centre for their support this season. Please make sure you go check them out. And most importantly, thank you for to you for tuning in each week and listening to the Red Robin podcast. Let's get behind Willie Peters, the boys and the club in 2023. 20, and let's cheer all our sides to victory. But for now, 
Live, love, laugh and be happy.